0: This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children.
1: Yeah, bro, I got to climb the mountain back home. So where I come from in Taranaki, there's a Mount, Mount Taranaki and then half an hour away from that you're at the surf. So you can go snowboarding and surfing within half an hour. Never climbed the mountain before, but I did it with a TV camera. And, bro, that's awesome. Not just reaching the summit, but just the climb itself. You realise a lot about yourself. You're also on a mission, you've got to film a show, you know, you're there to achieve a purpose and and nothing can stop you, you can't turn around.
0: The world is full of amazing people and once a week I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum and this is Awesome Human. Our Awesome Human today is Ocean Reeve, inspirational speaker, book marketing mentor, author, publisher, creative and innovative team leadership trainer. What you're about to hear today is that Ocean is a highly creative and innovative guy who followed his dreams and now runs three companies. One of them, Ocean Reef Publishing, who coincidentally is just about to publish my new book, Embrace the Fail. If he was a name dropper, Ocean could say that he's worked with William Shatner, Tony Child, Andrew Barassa, Harry Smith, Eric Bailey, just to name a few, and of course, now working with me.
1: <laughs> Welcome Ocean. Mate, you're back from your cruise, all refreshed, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, buddy, it was good. It was good. Took, took Flash on a cruise and obviously our partners and yeah, back into it. Back into it. So mm-hmm. obviously a business cruise? Of course, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we did work. I mean, we did actually, we're checking in on the authors and the team while we were there. But yeah, it was about having a bit of relaxation. Plus the cruise was free, bro. Oh, even better. How'd that happen? Oh, I'm a party to a blackjack, blackjack table. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Never walked off a cruise losing money, so they decided to give me a free cruise to have me back to try and take it. So and Did they win? Or did you no, win? Oh, they didn't win. Yeah, <laughs> I've got this great mathematical mind which works for me when I'm doing that. So oh, it's very great. nice, very yeah.
0: nice. I love the fact that when we first met, you said to me, what's going to happen is me and Flash are going to get up every morning We're going to do a good couple of hours work. We're going to then go and do the cruise and have a few beers or whatever. We do that every day. And I reckon, I said, I think day one you'll do it. Day two you'll skip the morning bit. And day three you'll just be straight in the sauce. Did well, it, was I right?
1: Well, you were close. Day one day <laughs> one, we did it, Day, but I missed the missed the time, so he was there before me. Day two we were there. Day three said, nah, we're not done. It's today. all over? Yeah, oh, well, you, you did the first two days. We still work, but it was from our cabins, and we just like caught up in the afternoon. But yeah, we got on the saucer a bit. And <laughs> so enjoyed you went the over food. the
0: hangover in the morning and then caught up in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, mate, of
1: course. <laughs> but no, nah, it was good to get away, and then when I got back, uh, straight back into it, then I had to fly to New Zealand. My daughter turned 21, plus I, I had some uh, business connections over there to expand the business. And nice. Got back last week, uh, Wednesday last week, I think it was, and then swinging no, right you into You don't it. look old enough to have a 21-year-old daughter. Oh, 21, 23-year-old son, 23-year-old daughter, stepdaughter, and a 26-year-old stepdaughter. So wow, so you're old then. I've got nearly no hair left, mate. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mate,
0: I'll tell you what, Awesome Humans is all about you. So what happens is that people like know about ocean, they've learned about what you've done in business and all that sort of stuff, but no one ever actually really gets to know the person. Mm. What I like to do is get to know the person and tell the story of you. So what I always love to start this is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? My first ever memory?
1: Far out. Should have prepped for this one. Nah, and that's a good thing about not prepping. The, the first ever memory I've got was actually in a place called Sutherland Park. Uh, I lived in a cul-de-sac in New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, in New Plymouth, in New Zealand. There was about 40,000 people in the, in the city at the time. And on one side of the cul-de-sac was the primary school I went to, and on the other side was Sutherland Park. And at the time, Chips, the TV show. Yeah, you know yeah. John and Ponch. I do, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal back then. And um, <laughs> I remember riding around on my um, little push bike with a guy named Shay Coldrick. And I think I was John. You would have been. Yeah. Because he
0: would have had black hair and he would have been Ponch.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, my earliest memory, and that's just what's coming to my (laughs) head now, was being John from Chips at Sutherland Park.
0: You know, it's funny because then I've just got a picture flash in my head of (laughs) of a mate of mine named Stephen Clark. We went to school together from, like, from primary school, kindergarten, all the way through to high school. And we went to our second grade fancy dress party as John and Ponch. And there's this photo of me and him in Chips uniforms. (laughs) (laughs) Even <laughs> with little hats, that's hilarious. Oh, that's I remember when we first landed in Hollywood, and we're driving along um, the freeway from LAX, and we saw the chips, and I'm going, "That's chips!" And the kids go, "What's that, Dad?" <laughs> oh, no, my wife's just hitting me, going, "You're an idiot." But, there's
1: actually, yeah, there's it's actually something Sutherland Park was, um, it was, it was a very common place for all the, the neighbourhood to hang out. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in a kind of like if you look at White Picket Fence America, we had the New Zealand version, and okay. it was that everybody knew each other. And it just came to me when I was thinking about the park, but they've got a bushland at the back of it. And we were playing around in there and a spider got on my back. I'm not too good around spiders. Mm. And my mate identified that it was behind me. And I looked over my shoulder and saw how big this thing was. We don't get big spiders in New Zealand. So this was <laughs> a bit of a fright. And I'm not a runner, but that day I was, mate. Insane. Yeah. saying? Yeah, oh, mate. Fast as anything. Uh, I believe it fell off on the on the speed that I was running. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of good memories there. It was good. So where were you born? I was born in Christchurch in New Zealand. And um, then I was uh, adopted out, put into an adoption home. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in Wellington, a place called Barnabas Adoption Home. And then I was picked How up. How old were you then? Uh, would have been just maybe three months, six months. Yep. And then uh, picked up by my parents who brought me up uh, when I was about – I think it was about 9 or 10 months and it took a it took a while for the adoption to go through. So were you in a um adoption home, an orphanage for that period? Kind of, yeah. 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 Uh the, the the interesting thing about that was that my mother when when I was born, she had me. She kept me and she thought of the name Ocean when I was on when she was standing on the waterfront of Wellington pregnant. And um that's where the name came from. Okay. And obviously she was still moving around New Zealand and um my birth father was a what are they call uh, a seaman? he was one yep. of those guys that traveled around from the, he was from the u k and so he came to New Zealand and shot through again mm. um, she obviously wasn 't ready to to bring up a child, so she put me into an adoption home so my adopt my original birth certificate said ocean anthony Hall and then she shot through she went to the u k she actually stowed away on a boat really followed my my birth father put me in this an adoption home yeah. Um, so when my actual parents came to adopt me, there was no one there to sign all the legal papers. They couldn't find her. They had to put a warrant out for arrest. And wow. that, that's why it took so long for me to actually get signed up as, and, and my adoption, adopted name was Andrew John Reeve. So when you turn, <coughs> excuse me, when you turn, um, I think it was 21 in New Zealand, you find out all about your adoption. And oh, then okay. I, I got my original business. Is that everyone? That. Uh, it's Or, it's or you option. can ask for it. You ask for it from okay. the government. And some in some cases, the birth parents don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. And in my case, because she shot through and really ne- didn't really fill out the paperwork, it was just there. So when I saw my original birth certificate, I was like, wow, this is too good. Plus, it was a bit of a – screwed with my head a bit. So part of me owning both parts of my life, I changed my name back to Ocean, kept Andrew as my middle name, yep. and Reeve, so – I See, I know what you're talking about now. Wow. You start talking to people and then they start remembering shit that they don't. <laughs> hey, <laughs> no, told I, you. I will be
0: able to get you, will I? I What's <laughs> it taking us, three minutes? Yeah, mate, no, I was thinking, <laughs> shit, that was quick. <laughs> so were you brought up, adopted? So what I mean by that was – we, when were you advised? Because obviously you are only a little baby at the time. You don't know any different. And then mum and dad, is that what you call your, your – yeah? yeah. So um, mum and dad, did, did they tell you were adopted or did they not?
1: Yeah, they did. Um, I was about six or seven and they give you this book, Where Did You Come From? And um, it tells you the story of how adoption happens. And it made, okay. sense. it made sense to me. It wasn't anything kind of entertaining for a young child to yeah. really get. It was pretty dry. Um, but, yeah, it, it helped explain it to me. Um, I didn't really have a problem with it growing up. It wasn't until later in life that it really mm-hmm. started to play with my head, you know, as you're growing into manhood, yep. kind of messed with me a bit. But um, well, I had an older brother that was also adopted, um, so we both, you know, kind of had Did that you book. of find course. out at the
0: same time?
1: Uh, he was a bit older than me, so okay. he would have found out sooner. Yep. Um, but it wasn't really a player. I mean, my remember that TV show Happy Days? Yeah. That was my mother, Marion Cunningham. Oh, really? Yeah, lovely lady, batshit crazy, but yeah. lovely lady, and my dad you know he was like the catholics growing you know so i had a, a good stable upbringing with yeah. mum and dad um so yeah i mean it was it was good to find out where i came from at, at a young age knowing i was adopted but it didn't really have an impact on me growing up it's good and so do you do you look like either of your adopted parents no
0: cuz it's quite funny I know, I know a lot of adopted kids and and they actually do and, yeah. and, you, and you would never pick it you know what i mean it's like one of those one of those things yeah no no <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you saw my brother, you'd go you wouldn't even pick it.
0: <laughs> no, fair enough. So school. Where where'd you go to school first? Kindergarten?
1: Um. <laughs> Kindergarten Gee whiz or Primary Where, where Primary were I remember Woodley Woodley uh, Primary School I went to That was the school At the other end Of the cul-de-sac I okay. told you about
0: So you could walk there Obviously
1: Yeah mate It was really ideal And um, yeah It was pretty good there um, You know One of those memories You have as a kid Where you get married With a Coke bottle ring And stuff oh, nice. Was she nice Yes she was yeah, and do you remember I, her name Keitha Willing <laughs> 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 That was a bit quick <laughs> I know The reason being <laughs> Is that uh, One of my logins You know how you have to Put in those secret questions Yeah One of them was Who's your first girlfriend And I put her <laughs> Her name in, so sometimes like at least once a week I have to log in and put that name, you know. Have
0: so, you ever yeah. looked
1: her up? I have on Facebook, but I can't find it. Oh, so she's probably I, changed her name. I think my wife would have probably looking up old girlfriends, Brett. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you were six. Come
0: on. Still, bro. I'm you hearing my wife. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. So how were you at school in primary school? Were you a good kid, bad kid?
1: Uh, it was all good. Um, primary school was like everybody else. Um so was that a Catholic school or a public no, school? No, that was a public school. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, I was a bit of a nerd. Yeah, you know? I was good at school. Um, wasn't really a sporty guy, but um, primary school wasn't the the probably the catalyst for me. But you're about to hear something that was. So mm. when I went to high school, and I, I, we went to a Catholic school there, Francis Douglas, and you do seven years. You you know form one, which is eleven years old. Yep. <clears throat> right through till form 7, 17. When I started school, I wanted to be a teacher. That was my mission. I just, you know, liked the idea of education. So I was very good at school, always passed my subjects and stuff. But at Form 1, my first year at France Douglas, my adopted brother was the catalyst to some extreme bullying that I suffered there. And back in the 80s, bullying wasn't even a word. No. You know, you just didn't even –
0: princess. Pretty much. Mm. Uh,
1: I walked past um, – I was walking down the hallway with uh, with my class, with my peers, and he came the other way and punched me in the face. And your
0: brother, yeah. your adopted brother.
1: Yeah. So yeah. when he did that, it kind of gave a green light for everybody asked to kind of go to town. So what, if this was to happen in today's time, there'd be, you know, it just wouldn't happen. It would be mm. an uproar, but you just have to toughen up princess. So you, I never fought back and and I didn't know how to fight. It wasn't really even my my head. So I went through quite a large period of my life just getting smashed around at school all the while staying focused on my vision and i just got to pass my subjects, get to teacher's college, get to teacher's college. That's all I'd think of. What did mum and dad say about this? I didn't know. Yeah, okay. So in third form, in third form I actually um, was on the phone once and uh, I had a glass of juice in my hand and the next thing I know I'm on the ground. juice is all over me, mum was there and I fainted. And these spells escalated that. I had more and more of them. And they diagnosed me with mal epilepsy, which is like narcolepsy where you just kind of... Mm-hmm. the problem with that is that um they turned into grand mal seizures we you're actually seizing mm-hmm. and mum and dad took me to the um, to the hospital, they flew me down to Wellington Hospital, and they did a whole lot of neurological testing and the The thing there is again, back in the eighties they didn't have the technology and yeah. in medicine that they do now, so you're like fourteen fifteen at this stage. thirteen yeah so when they <coughs> excuse me when they're running me through all these tests, um it was quite painful when and i didn't know what the hell they were doing. At the end of it, the neurologist was, I remember this vividly, the neurologist was in the hospital ward and the ward was oval shaped and my bed was in the centre with mum and dad. And um, he said that we've done every test we've got. His brain's functioning well. It's actually at a high level. We think this is stress related. And that's when I told mum and dad about the bullying, but I left my brother out of it. Wow. what'd they say? Well, the neurologist was pissed. He's like you think you could have told us that before we had done all this, and you know I was a thirteen year old kid, so what the hell did I know?
0: You were shitting bricks, and it's like, yeah.
1: What do you say, man? So yeah, basically they gave me some meds to to deal with the seizures, deal with the stress. Went back home. Mum went to the school, told the third form dean she wanted this to stop. Uh, third form dean, we had a assembly as you do at school. I'm kind of to the edge of the of the auditorium, and uh, I heard well, I wasn't really focusing as most kids don't. And I heard my name mentioned and I looked up and he was talking about the bullying and how it had to stop. And but he mentioned your name. Yeah. So out of oh. the corner of my eye, I'm just like looking over to everyone over there and I'm, they all just like beeline to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, no, it's going to so – Two more years of that, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty full on. Even the friends that I had ended up um, swinging their fists at me at some stage. So I learned that I couldn't trust anybody and I became very um, – not introverted, but I, I showed people Insulated. what I, very much so. Mm. And I showed them what I wanted them to see so that nobody really knew who I was because I didn't want to get close to people. You like a chameleon them. type thing, didn't you? Very much so. You adapt to your environment oh, yeah. and you learn how to run fast. Get away from it. So it wasn't pretty. Um, when I was 15, one of these guys told me that I should fight back or whatever. I did one day outside the tuck shop, a whole lot of people. But because I didn't know how to fight, I just raged. Mm. So just running at him, and it was purely out of surprise, Brett, because there's no way I had any skills in scrapping, but I ended up kicking this guy's ass and standing above him. Um, What occurred was a trigger went off in my head. Not a good one. So I moved out of home soon after that, got my own place. How old were you now? I was just going on 16, Mm -hmm. and I got onto the Independent Youth Benefit in New Zealand, which is sent a link for, for young people. who What did mum
0: and dad think about you leaving home?
1: Huh? They didn't have a say. They didn't want me to. But I just like, no, nah, nobody on my own. I'm done now. And I went and studied how to fight. I went to Taekwondo and um, I... you still going to school? Yep, still mm-hmm. going to school. Um, I still was planning on teacher's college at this yep. point. And I got into a gang. I got into drugs and alcohol and that carried on for two years. My last exam at 7th Form was my statistics exam. I'd passed everything else. I knew I had. I'd done well. But I chose a bottle of gin over my statistics exam. Boom. And that was the end of Teachers College. 17 years old. Big decisions. Yep. And then that's where, well, you know, every kid rebels. But it was at that point there I really went down the rabbit hole. Eh? It was pretty rough.
0: So that's your life changer. That's the spot. Mm. Is it though? Or is the spot back no. when you're 15 and you realize I'm fucking on my own. I, I can't. No one can help me. I'm, I'm literally, it's me and, and I've got it now. Work out
1: what I do. I think, yeah, I think it was then. Um, When I decided to move out of home, it wasn't… cool at a young age. Yeah, it was. And it was my adoption had a part to play in that Mm -hmm. because my brother had a lot to do with all of this and I didn't want to be around him. I couldn't stand the guy. And I needed to get away from him. I didn't want my parents on my back. And even though mum and dad were awesome, I was a 15-year-old kid just, you know, you don't want to know. But the big thing was is that I didn't want to be… Reliant on anyone Yeah Because I can't trust Well back then I couldn't trust That's a big thing And I didn't realise it at the time So I just had to get away Get away Get away So yes it was At 15 that was the moment Where I said Yep Done But I went down that hole It wasn't a good decision that I made And I was conscious It was my choice
0: So at this time Mum and dad still had no idea It was your brother That started all this Do they they
1: now? Yeah they do now Okay When did that come out? Uh, Probably in my 30s
0: Okay yeah. and were they disappointed sad upset what they were was it? The...
1: devastated and yeah. upset they felt responsible for it and of i course. said you know you you know michael my brother has his own issues um the reason he did what he did i don't know what that what that is don't really care now mm. um but that wasn't their responsibility everybody has a choice to make in life Brett. and it doesn't matter whether you're 11 or you're 110 you're still making a choice and you've got to own it. that throughout your whole life yeah. we've got to teach our kids in that exactly that and and they did teach us that, me yeah. and Michael. They taught us that you got to be responsible for your own decisions. And, you know, 15, I was responsible for my decision to move out, just like he was with what he did. So, so I wasn't on
0: them. at 15, cut all ties with Michael?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, um, he was he still at school? Or he probably he, left by then? He'd moved to another school. Okay. But, yeah, my my relationship with him was next to non-existent from the age of about 12, 11, 12, when this first started at, at high school. um And, yeah. Every interaction I had with him was fear-based. You know, if I was around him, I was waiting to get hurt. Mm. Um, and I just disliked him. He just represented everything negative to me. And, yeah, no relationship still yeah. to this day. Still to this day. Okay. So at
0: 7am, we've chose a bottle of gin over a statistics exam.
1: Gordon's gin, mate.
0: Gordon's <laughs> Quality. Quality gin. Do you look back at that now and think, Actually, that's probably the best decision I ever made.
1: Totally. Yeah. Well, I look at where I am in my life now and what I've achieved over my career and, and what uh, I've helped change people. I've helped improve people's lives through what I do. Is that because you fucked up? I think so. Yeah. I think what I've learned, because there's only so much I can tell you in a podcast yeah. without, you know, getting myself in trouble. But, um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of things I did from the age of 15 to about 22 that, you know, a lot of people would regret and I've paid back my karma. I've done some, some shit horrible things to people and I had to earn my way back into the universe to treat me right. And that took a long time. Um, if I hadn't have had those experiences, I wouldn't have learned what I learned. And, you know, we set off air, you know, both you and me have got four kids. Well, I watch what my kids do and everyone goes, Oh my God, look at what your child, nothing with what I've done. Exactly. No, they don't cross my line. They're all good.
0: My my, uh, my eldest daughter, she's turned sixteen. Oh wow! And uh, she's a great kid. They don't go partying. They don't do any of that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there saying to my wife fuck we're lucky <laughs> Some shit we used to do at 16 now it's like yeah it's it's pretty amazing when you look back and you can see you in them and you sit there and it scares the shit out of you just because of obviously you know what you've been to
1: <laughs> oh totally i mean I, all my kids know my story and yeah. um even in my trip back home just recently um my daughter's 21st and my, yeah. my son was around around at my mum and dad's as well, and. We talked about a lot of the stuff and, and they didn't know, Lucy didn't know about my history. Bryce did, my son did, but um, Lucy didn't. I wanted her to know. I wanted to know some of uh, what's made Dad Dad and yeah. why I'm so driven and motivated to do what I do now and, and that's had a lot to do with it. And does
0: she now have a better understanding of who you are?
1: Very much so. And we connected in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) You can see that. I spent a bit of time. The first night I was there, I spent a bit of time with mum and dad and and her, obviously, and her boyfriend. And then after that, I went down to their place and just hung out with her and her boyfriend. And we cleared the air on a lot of stuff, you know. And and a lot of it was about, you know, where did Lucy come from? Where did Ocean come from? And daughter, dad, how does that fit now? So it was a really honest and positive conversation. It was good, mate.
0: Isn't that good? At 21, you can... Get all that now. You've got the rest of your life to look. at. Oh,
1: mate, it's going to be sensational. It is actually. Yeah, it feels good.
0: So we're we're seventeen. We've chosen our bottle of gin. We've gone. <laughs> we won't go into too much detail about the stuff you don't want it, which is fine. Yeah. But did you then? So when when did you sort of come out of the the, the let's call it the gang phase, if you like, and and the booze and drugs phase? What well, would a couple of years? You said So what? Nineteen twenty?
1: Uh, I was a bit later than that. So I was. I was in a skinhead gang back mm-hmm. in New Zealand and um, the drugs and alcohol were pro- proliferant As so was crime. Um, I I got to the age of about 19 and my dad said to me, you need to get a job and a girlfriend. I told him to get fucked. Uh, about a year later, he said, you need to go to rehab or you're going to wind up in a cell or worse in the grave. Mm-hmm. The thing about that was that a lot of – when you're in a, a gang that has a lot of drug use and a lot of crime – many of the people either OD and end up in the grave and most of them end up in jail. Yeah. So I did see there's some truth to what he was saying then. And looking back on where all these people are now, there's only three of us that actually have survived in later life. Yeah. The rest are still in jail or they are they have passed on. So he was very true in that statement and it and it did resonate with me at twenty years old. So I went and got a girlfriend and a job. I took his first piece of advice.
0: <laughs> Much better than up. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> And then
1: you grew your hair back. Yeah, I did, mate. I did. But there was was another moment then too. Like, you know, I was saying about when I was 15. Well, this first job I had was through somebody I knew and it was working in a nursery planting fuchsias. Mm -hmm. And because during the gang environment, you're always with people. You still didn't trust them and they still only saw what I showed them. But I was either wasted or stoned or whatever. And when I was working, I was sober and I was on my own. And because I'd always been intelligent, I, I knew what I was doing. And I knew of the shit mistakes and my decision and all that. But when you're on your own and you're one with nature and your hands are in the soil and you're planting these plants and you, you ask that question, you all ask yourselves at some point, you probably did it yesterday, Brett, which is this is what I'm going to do with my life. Mm. Is this me? Is this, am I a fucking gardener? And that, I had a epiphany then and it was Pulp Fiction. Quentin <laughs> <Winston> Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to make movies, bro. Really? wanted to make a movie. wanted to get it to a film festival. didn't care if I won, just wanted to make a movie and I get to it there. Get there. And I walked up to my boss and I quit right there on the spot. I had no work ethic because it was my first job, but I, I quit and I went to the equivalent of TAFE in, uh, in New Zealand, which is a training institution. And I walked into the admin office that very day and said, um, I want to make movies. Can you tell me what I need to study? And they kind of laughed at me because the question was a bit, you know, not, yeah. not expected. And I said, well, look, I don't know what to ask you. They said, well, you've got to do media studies. So that's journalism, radio and film and TV. If you pass any one of those electives, you can then apply for the longer and larger course, but they only have a small intake, so your chances aren't great. Sign me up, student loan, whole nine yards. I, at this point – so You're 21 now? Yeah. Yeah. I'd made the point – I'd made the decision at that point to um, – I was minimizing the drug use, so that was going. And I was not going to the parties and to the gigs that the crew were going to. So I was getting out of that environment. And was that hard? Um, Actually, no. Oh, really? No, it wasn't too bad. I mean, because I never denied that I had a brain and I I could make logical and conscious and and good decisions. So when I decided, Nah, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, and I moved right out, you know, everybody knew it was definitive. Yeah. There was no... Because they
0: sort of knew the bit that they needed to know of you. That's right. Because no one ever actually really knew you.
1: Nah, so trying to pull me back in, not an option.
0: One question, though, for you. Let's just go back there for a sec. Yeah. You got beaten up and all this shit for all these years. Mm -hmm. When you become a skinhead Mm -hmm. and you're feared, you walk past someone, they're shit scared of you. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go back and pay back anyone? Yeah. Retribution, was there?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Did that make you feel good, bad or ugly? No, not now. I look back on Not now, but the, at, the, at time. the time. Yeah. Empowered. Um, there was that vengeance. Mm. That was just like one guy turned up at a party. He didn't even recognise me, but he was one of the guys at school. Yep. And I'm in the boots, the whole, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And mainly because I'd shaved all my hair off. probably a bit hard to recognise yeah. me. Um, and I <laughs> – story I don't usually tell. Um, I walked out to one of my mates and I said, you know, I know who that guy is. He's one of the dudes that smashed me around at school. He's going, what do you want to do? I said, I want to remind him. And I asked him, oh, do you remember who I am? He's going, no, no, no. He's like, oh, come with me, bro. And uh, I took him into one of the bedrooms and, and I hit him and I said, do you remember who I am? And I kept going until he remembered. And what ended up happening was he ended up crying, not because of the pain but because of the mental. Of what he did. Yeah, it just played on him. That it wasn't just hitting him; it was talking to him at the same time and letting him know what he did to me. And 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 I found out that that had a major impact on him negatively later on in life. And I was like, I do I don't regret it now. I've let go of my yeah. my errors and I've made right with my karma. But there was a time in my um in my thirties where I, that was always playing on me what I did to that guy and and some of the other things I did too. So, but at the same time, you got to look at this stuff and you were put through so much shit. Right Man. and
0: and like yeah, I, I feel for the guy now. That's fine, but at the same time, mate, those assholes put you through what could have been the end of your life at oh, the time. So
1: I had jaws broken, legs broken. I got thrown off balconies. I mean, there was some, like some of, the of, the stuff. of the shit
0: that these people did to you, and <laughs> to to get them back, whatever you want to call that, whether it's vengeance, whatever, um, has to make right in
1: the world, doesn't it? Well, at the time. I think there's logic to that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you get the bigger understanding of what the universe is all about and why you're on this planet, you realise that that is not a response to anything. And And I agree on that. Yeah, and so violence doesn't be you know, become violence. Yeah, I'm not condoning
0: them. that at all, mate, but at the same time for such a young kid to get the fuck beaten out of him so much, you, there's got to be a point you've got to snap.
1: And when, a, you know, we look at that transition where I left left home and got involved in the gang and I, I lived this lifestyle, you become a very violent individual mm. and, and everything that you're doing is revolved around violence and, and drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And so you don't know any other option when you're in that environment. Of course. And when somebody from your past jumps into that, and you recognise what they did, or well, your natural response is to inflict that violence to them. So yeah, I mean, there was a large, large part of me that was was a vengeance thing. Well, it's,
0: it's also really interesting because I'm not religious at all, right? But obviously, you were born up in a Catholic household. Mm-hmm. Were you brought up Catholic?
1: Yes. So an
0: eye for an eye, all that sort of stuff. Um, but but it's taken out of context. Of Lord course, no, okay. of course it is. But the thing is, is, I'm not religious at all. But the thing is, I look back like your parents. Obviously, yeah. they were they were
1: strict Catholics. Yeah, my dad's tra- um, trained at the seminary to be a priest.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, so, so, what
1: did they think during this period? Well, Dad was also a probation officer. So when I got busted <laughs> by the cops for something, yeah. I guess it was standing in the courts when I went up. So you could imagine what well, that, that would have went down. Well. <laughs> That's why when he said you need to go to rehab, he yeah. had he had evidence to prove where people like the path I was on, where I was going to go. So your mum was devastated; she had a, a lot of suffering from what what I was behaving, my mm. behaviour at the time. Dad was a little bit more resilient because he worked in the industry with a whole lot of criminals and badasses. So you know he, he just didn't want his son to be one of them. You yeah, know? but um, and that's a wonderful thing from your parents. Oh man,
0: man, because oh. they realised like. Obviously, at the time, all this stuff, and then at the period where you actually told him what had happened, mm. all that would have made sense.
1: Oh yeah, like but the penny drops. Oh, I was, I was, like when I did tell Dad about what my brother did and and how it all took shape for me, he just sat in the lounge. This is my thirties, and he cried. And he, yeah. and he it wasn't so whether or not it was because of Michael, I don't know. I think it was because he didn't know that I'd gone through the suffering. Yep, and he was, you know, you're a dad, Brett. You know, oh, you don't want your kids to suffer. I so, him being a, not oblivious to it, that's a bit strong, but being unaware of how much yeah. it was hurting me, that got him. And I said, Dad, you know, this ain't on you, man. This ain't on you. Don't own this.
0: But it also would have, everything else would have made sense. I oh, did. Like it, it, bring, it brings that into that full circle, doesn't it, mate? Everything,
1: is. like from 15 to, to
0: 20, that's whatever. What you there. 100%.
1: What you, yeah, totally, bro.
0: And in a way, that's probably. A good thing in their mind because they realise, oh, okay, that caused that to happen. Uh, now we're back and we're we're good again.
1: They look at it now and and they do understand that I had to, I had to go through that part mm. of my life to do what I'm doing now. Um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't. Like we've said it before. I would not be doing this if I hadn't have experienced that. Yeah,
0: it's amazing, mate. So we're not digging plants anymore. We're no. we throwing the job in. we have yeah. now gone to to TAFE as we let's call it that for the the sure. sake of this, and. You've gone up, you've signed up, you've got your student loans. What's the first course you're doing?
1: Well, I did the media studies with journalism, radio and film and TV. Um, couldn't really, didn't really like journalism that much, but I still passed. And I passed the other two as well, but I really excelled in radio and film and TV. And the tutors both approached me for those two independent courses and asked me to apply. Apply but, for what? The bigger courses. Okay. And Because like I said. It's if you had, the
0: movie making courses?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or to get into radio.
0: Okay.
1: And um, I didn't trust anyone, mate. Still. So I thought there was an agenda. Oh, I had never experienced anyone showing me any real actual care. You know, mum and dad excluded. But and you're still now coming out
0: of the drug phase and that sort yeah. of stuff at this time. <laughs>
1: so I'm like at these guys going, yeah, what's your agenda? Yeah, what do you, you want? <laughs> and I fobbed it off, bro. I just yeah. was like, "Nah, I'm not, not going to listen to this. So I stayed on stayed on task. I graduated media studies. I applied for film and TV. I walked into the interview and the tutor, the lead tutor, he was at the desk, he was writing some shit down, and then he looked up at me and he just goes, Yeah, yeah, you're all good, go away. I was like, What? He was going, I already told you, Ocean, I wanted you to apply for the course. <laughs> that was the very first time I stood there. I was stunned, mate. I was going, Shit, this guy I meant what he said. And are we,
0: are we got hair back now, we're not in like boots and shit anymore.
1: I was growing we're- back, yeah, no boots. No boots, we're, uh, we're back to civvies. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're, we're out of the uniform, we're in our <laughs> civilization clothes. <laughs>
1: I should have seen the. I'm glad there's no photos of me. This oh, screen. there will be. Anyway, so, but yeah, this guy, man, he just he just saw something in me, and uh, I really realised he was being real and authentic, and he, yeah. he meant what he said, and that gave me um, a lot of hope, a lot of a lot of faith, and that I could actually do this. So I just applied everything. I was married now. I think I, no, I wasn't quite married. you so still was got the
0: girlfriend from the, when we yes. were doing the gardening.
1: Yes, so my yeah. son was born. Okay. And I just applied myself like a like a ninja, eh? I just really put it into film and TV and he gave me the keys to the edit suite. So that's like giving a had the keys to TAFE, you just <laughs> don't do that. But like I said, he wanted to nurture this. But the
0: good thing is you didn't sell anything out of the edit suite. I didn't or, steal a
1: thing, bro. <laughs> How good's that? I didn't steal a thing. I really respected him and what he was doing for me, and, and I, 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 I did work my guts out.
0: Isn't it amazing? Someone shows you kindness, someone, and that's what this whole thing all comes down to is kindness, and someone gives you that, and you think, fuck, he's actually doing that for me. Yeah, I am worth something. Like It actually gives you that self-worth, and sure, that's obviously sure. exactly what you needed at that time.
1: Totally was, man. Totally was, and I graduated top of my class. And he got me a job with TVNZ News. Um, so my next job after Futures was working straight doing cam ops. <laughs> so, you now it's like Channel Nine. You get a call, and uh, oh, we got a story to do it, bigger waters or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you grab the camera, go down, and you feed it back to the station. They put it on the six o'clock news. So I was,
0: you're behind the camera.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah, cam op, and um, it was uh, they call them the stringers. Mm. So you just get the call and do it. And that was an intense, exciting job because you didn't know what was coming each day. And it was good money, Barry. It was good yeah. money. And back in those days, there was no internet. So you had to go to the telecom building and feed it up this line like a, a <laughs> dial-up. Remember dial-up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. sounds yeah. like that. And, and it was good. I mean, I did that for about that for about eight months. I wasn't a big fan of going and filming car crashes and mm. all, the, all the negative stories. And I I'd started to see more positive.
0: So you're completely off drugs by now?
1: Not completely. Not completely? No, no. Um, I was t- not taking any more Class A drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, probably still smoking a bit of pot at that time. Yep. Um, but – and the alcohol was still there. Okay. That was the big thing. The alcohol was still prevalent in my life. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't want to do all the car crashes and all that sort of stuff, so I ended up stepping back from it. It was my choice. And I, there was a guy that I worked with at the course – uh, I trained with, and um, I gave him the opportunity to speak to my tutor and take off a stringer of work from me. And I wanted to focus on making that movie that I yeah. wanted to get. So I started writing scripts, and I was starting the dole or something. I didn't really care. And so during this whole
0: phase, obviously Dad said, go and get a girlfriend and a job. Yeah. You've, you've, you've done well. You've got, the, you've got the girlfriend. You're now doing the courses and stuff. What's she doing during this time?
1: Well, it was actually during the um, near the end of the course, the film and TV um, training, then going into the string of work that we broke up. So okay. I had my daughter um, and she never supported the creative vision. We were not in a good place and I left and I left all my stuff, just scrape a bag on my back, and and moved in with some friends. So, I was single at that point when I really started getting into the actual work. And and you got two kids at this stage? Two right? kids. Yeah. Yep, yep. So did look, you see them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yep. Not as much as I would have liked, and as yep. they got older, even less so because there was a lot of animosity that was between me and that my ex. Can split up families. Yep, that's the drill. But I actually just remembered something when I moved out of um, when I broke up with my wife. I moved in with some mates who were stuntmen okay this was happening um during the string of work yeah and they were doing a live stunt show tour around the north island of new zealand so they'd crash cars and they'd set themselves on fire and all this jazz and i was able to get the camera gear from um the polytech from the tafe kind of thing and i was on tour with them filming these stunt shows wow and i ended up making a half hour show of all of it cut together and sold it to sky sports Really? Oh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> there you go. What was that called? Do you remember? Kiwi Stunt Night. Yeah. And even just when I was back in New Zealand, Mum and Dad just gave me the VHS of it. So I've got to find a place to transfer it over to um into digital because I want to watch that. That'd be awesome. And um, I even got an opportunity to set myself on fire. So they suited me up with the stunt men and jailed me up. Got a bit warm in places. I'm sure it did. But now I can say I've been aflame, You know. Yeah, that's so yeah, good. Um, but yeah, there was it was a lot very exciting getting in film and TV and and you you just meet a lot of crazy, unique people and do some awesome stuff. And then um, – So we quit string of work. Quit string of work. Yep. And I had uh, I was living in this house with that guy that was took the string of work over. Mm-hmm. And I had a knock on my door and I didn't know who this guy was. And he goes, I hear you're the guy to come to a New Plymouth about film and TV. And I immediately said, who told you that crap? And he said, your tutor, Keith. And I'm like, yeah. oh, sure. you know, he's the man. Yeah, well, what do you need? What do you need? So oh, we're going to start a regional TV station and he put your name forward as program director. And I was like, I did not even know what a program director was. Bro. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, um, you're going to pay me? He's like, yeah, yeah, It's About five, six hundred bucks a week. And back then that was a good, that was money. good money. And I yeah. said, yeah, sign me up. And then I went and found out what a program director did. <laughs> so I got to make the show, come up with the ideas for the shows, uh, delegate them to be produced by the team, who were all people that trained with me when I was training, and they'd get it edited and I'd choose what time I'd schedule them to go on air. So it was the best job ever, man. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah, bro. I got to climb the mountain back home. So where I come from in Taranaki, there's a Mount Mount Taranaki, and then half an hour away from that you're at the surf. So you can go snowboarding and surfing within yep. half an hour. Never climbed the mountain before, but I did it with a TV camera. and nice. Bro, that was awesome. So cool. Is that a life changer? Yeah, very much so. Mm. You know, um, not just reaching the summit, but just the climb itself. You realise a lot about yourself. You're also on a mission. You've got to film a show. You know, you're there to achieve a purpose and and nothing can stop you. You can't turn around. Yeah. You know, and and it got hard, bro. I was like a cigarette smoker. I was a drinker and, uh, (laughs) you know, I wasn't that fit. I'd given up the Taekwondo at that point. So, you know, I'd slid down the hill a bit. So it was great, man. When I got to the top, I... Thank God we had to sit down. That was so cool. Did
0: you put your arms above your head and scream?
1: Yeah, Yeah, totally, bro.
0: You've got to do that at the top of any mountain,
1: mate. So cool. (laughs) took a while to get up there and we did it as a group and um, that show was called Summit and went to air probably two weeks after the television station opened and it was one of the most watched programs. So, yeah, it was fantastic. So how long were you a program director for? Did that for a year. Uh, Got out of film and TV, got out of the media completely because uh, you have to – to get up in that industry, whether it doesn't matter what country you're in, you have to claw your way up. And, yeah. and it means sometimes you have to knife people in the back to get above. And we've seen this in the media here in Australia. Oh, 100%. And it's the same in New Zealand. And, and I would just wasn't that guy. I wasn't that that aggressive. Um, and I needed to change. It's ironic, really, isn't it? A little bit. Eh? A little bit. See, so, you, a, you, so you've changed now. It was from growing
0: up. That when, when, when did that happen? When When was the day? Was it top of the mountain or was it before that? Was it the program director guy knocking on your door?
1: I had a bit of a spiritual awakening during that time. I realised that there was something bigger in the world and the universe than me. Um, I understood that if I lived a life of being a bit more honest with myself and with the people I was in, that things would work out a bit better. And it started to with the film and TV stuff. Um, so yeah, I think there was a combination of things happening. It
0: wasn't just one day
1: you've gone. Fuck! This is what I, this is. This is me now. I'm actually. No, it
0: taking a long period of time.
1: See, when I do my mentoring with authors, I try and build a foundation of these six steps. And these six steps are the same ones Arnold Schwarzenegger follows. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard him mentioning those, I thought I've heard these before. Oh, really? And I hadn't. I looked everywhere. I'm a bit OCD. It's like a song at the tip of your tongue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I started searching everywhere for it, you know, on my hard drives and emails, found nothing. And then when I think about my life and how I've gone through things, I realized I've been living this shit. So by the moment I planted those fuchsias, I planted the seeds of creativity, and I have not stopped. So whatever I do in my life and my career, I will follow those six steps, and I will I will win. I so will. it started at the nursery? It really did. It was planting those fuchsias. It
0: actually started when Dad said, "Yeah, go and get a missus and a job. Yeah, pretty much. Thanks, thanks, Dad. Shot dead. <laughs> he'll listen, to
1: this and He'll go. Oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it was all me. Yes, <laughs> of course it was.
0: No, it's interesting though because it, when you look back and find where was that moment or why did that moment happen, and it's like fuck, I can, I, I was, I was bad until that date, and then fuck yeah, I was still not one hundred percent, but I got better. Yeah, it and, was
1: then. It wasn't that nursery. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Dude, <laughs> <laughs> you hate me now, don't you? A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, your book price has just gone. Up. <laughs> I love
0: it. So we're now we're, we've left program. we left media altogether. together is, yeah, is the vision still the movie, or oh, yeah. is that
1: gone? No, no, totally there. And okay. I was still doing them. Um, I'd I'd produce a small, low budget short film stuff just to get my head around you know production, editing, and, and, and uh, cinematography. Mm-hmm. So I was improving my skills, and that was important to me. So How I, are you making money at this stage? While well, the well, when I was working at the program television station, oh okay, I was, I was, so like, you're doing this on the side, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, I was also part time doing bar work at a mm-hmm. local um, hotel, so I learned how to pour piss. Yep, um, which led me into supposed to
0: just drink it. Oh, well, I was
1: still drinking, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just not on the job. Yeah. Uh, but when I when I got out of media, I went up to a guy I knew that owned a nightclub and a bar in town and I, in the city where I lived in. And I said to him, oh, man, I, I just want to get out of the media. And, like, I've been on TV and I've been behind the scenes in TV and I just, you know, I need a change, something a bit more just okay. And how about you give me a bar job? And he said, mate, you've got a name. That's crazy. You've been on and behind TV. Everyone knows who you are. You'd get, start working behind the bar, people start talking to you, you won't shut the hell up. I wouldn't get any work done. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Thank, thanks, bud. <laughs> but he was bloody right, though, wasn't he? You know, how you get a name location? Like <laughs> oh, here we go. So I said, oh, no, I, I fully understand that. And he goes, but I'll give you the job as promotions manager. And I was like, didn't know what that was either. And um, I said, well, are you going to pay me? It's the same money as the TV station. And I said, sweet, sign me up. So I got to choose all the entertainment that happened on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night at the club. Uh, It was pretty good. I was 23. I think I was 23 then, so I was a little bit older. And uh, the problem with that, I was into my second relationship now. had two Mm -hmm. stepchildren. And I'm a 23-year-old working in a nightclub as a promotions manager, do the maths, young people come into the bar, young girls come into the bar, Yeah, it opens itself up to some problems. Yep. So that lasted a year. And if I wanted my relationship to last, then I needed to get out. Uh, So, a really exciting time. And we, you know, I I definitely increased the um, popularity of that club. Mm -hmm. And it went from about number eight ranked in the city to number two in that year, which was a lot to do with the entertainment we were providing, which is great. I had developed a bit of an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. So, I always had one. Developed or continued? I think it really. Well, one, of the, one of the reasons I left the bar was also my wife. I wanted to; yep. she's my wife now. Yeah. I wanted that relationship to work. But the other one was: is one day I went to it was a Monday morning. We always got paid, and it was you know cash. And um, I went to go and get my pay, and he, he said, I oh, you don't have any." I went, "What?" And you spent it all last weekend on your tab. I said, "I spent six hundred bucks on person." I was like two dollar beers. And mm. yeah, bro, last week you went nuts. And I said, "I'm done. I can't do that. I can't even pay my rent this week." I had to get out. Yep. I had an alcohol problem, clearly. So I applied for nine to five, uh, I I needed to settle my ass down and get something that was going to be a little bit more sustainable for a family. And it just so happened there was a job going literally two minutes walk from where I lived with um, my partner and the the two-step kids. And um, I'd never done a job interview. Every job I've had, I've just told you about. (laughs) So I went down to this job interview and I was an arrogant, egotistical idiot. You know,
0: You're
1: 23. Yeah, but I'd done all this stuff, filming yeah. TV and, and nightclubbing, and I, I thought I was more than I was. Yeah. So I walked into this interview, and the first thing I said, well, you might as well stop looking, you found the best. And the, the, the husband and wife, the husband goes, oh, yeah, why do you say that? And I was like, well, everything I've done, I've kicked ass at. So, you know, I don't know what your job is. didn't know what the other jobs were. I'm, like, I'm going to kick ass as soon as you tell me what it is. And the interview lasted about five, ten minutes, and he said, oh, okay, we'll let you know. And I'm walking home, and I'm going, yeah, that's one of those don't call us, we'll call you <laughs> I might have fucked that one up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I need to go and learn how to do an interview properly, you yeah. know. But um, he ended up bringing me up that afternoon and offered me the job. And really? It, yeah, bro. It was as a production manager for an educational publishing house. Okay. And that was my career into publishing. And from there, it's just gone nuts. But I pulled my ego in check because he told me, when he called me back in and said, I'm going to give you the job, but I just want to let you know, you don't need to speak like that. You don't need to walk in here thinking you're great. You know, let your work show us you're great, you know. So he was a great mentor for me, Graham, and taught me a lot about the publishing industry and uh, writing, being creative. And, you know, I pulled my head in and I focused on my job and I did very well and we built up the educational publishing house and, and it's just been inter traditional into inter-self-publishing. Yeah, New Zealand was it's been about 11 years doing that, and it was amazing.
0: And so during this period, when did you get married?
1: Uh, oh, good point. So, see, neither me or Vicky, Vicky or I, can tell you wh- how long we've been married for. <laughs> That's always handy. We can tell you we've been together since 2001. Like yeah. We can't tell you how long we've been married for, but it was during my time at, at Publishing House. Okay. So, yeah, Didn't we, you get it engraved on the ring? That's what I did. No, no. <laughs> Just so you can remember. No, yeah. I always remember. <laughs> so I, I, we've been married a long time now. I mean, it's, it's, it's superfluous really, but um, yeah, it was during that time at the Publishing House I got married. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: So then when did we stop drinking?
1: When I moved to Australia. Really? So yeah. when did you move to Australia? What made that happen? Uh Well, during that time in, in the publishing industry, when self-publishing, let me backtrack, when the internet hit, yep. the music industry suffered, film and TV suffered, publishing suffered. In New Zealand, small population, a lot of bookshops closed down before it hit Australia, America, and the rest of the world. Smaller countries got hit first. uh The distributors shut shop. This is Amazon and those sort of things when they, they started, started coming in. Yep, yep. Uh, distributors started closing down. Uh, we were taking on Australian authors, so the New Zealand writers weren't getting the focus that they should have been.
0: So, are you on your own here? Or are you still at the education? I was, publishing? The,
1: I was in the self-publishing part of this now. Okay. So I'd move. I'd been promoted.
0: Are you still with with the same, same people? company? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they had like three different publishing arms: educational, traditional, and self. Yeah. And I went through all three of them, which was great. And I learned so much about this industry there because. We're, it wasn't that they were finding their feet. They were well established, but I'd no shit about any of it. So yeah. I learned from the marketing manager of Random House and educational editor that had been a teacher for 40 years. You know, I was learning from people that knew their shit. So I was very, very fortunate. Big shout out to everybody back in New Zealand that helped. And we no. starting
0: to let people in now. Like, are, are we starting yeah. during this phase? You're sort of actually starting to trust people again, and yeah. or actually
1: for the first time in your life, pretty much. I would built a bit of a crew. Like the crew, I got married by my my best friend performed the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, my son and another one of my best friend's best men, and the my, the caterer was my one of my best mates. Yep. And I, I caught up with all of them when I went back to New Zealand last week. So when you say yeah. you, you,
0: your best mates, so are these mate, new mates? Yes. Like So these are new people you've brought in surrounding you now that you can, you know you can trust, you can do all that sort of stuff. Yep. So the old – yeah, From the film and
1: television days. Okay, film and television days. Yeah, okay. so they all came into my life. Then they were in the original films I did. One of the guys, the guy that um, married us, was the guy that I made all the movies with. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, but to go back to where you were saying about when I made the call to come to Australia um, – I was a client manager at self-publishing house called publishme.co.nz. Mm-hmm. It's still operational to this day, and I'm going to partner with them when I'm in New Zealand. Yep. That's one of the reasons I went back. I'd made that film. you have made the film at this stage? It had gone to a film festival in Canada. It had got played. I didn't win anything, but I pulled it off.
0: What was it called?
1: The house. And email me later. I'll send you the link so you okay. can watch it. Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we got funding for it. I, so I did a lot of grant applications to be able to pull it so off. So
0: you wrote, produced, directed, and filmed?
1: co-wrote. Yeah. And I didn't – I directed, but I didn't produce or edit. Okay. I had my team. The yeah. guy that used to do the stringer work after me and yep. the guy that married us. And, the, again, the caterer was my mate yeah, at my wedding. Had group of mates. Had that crew. And I've still got that crew. And, mm. um, again, you know, they, they've helped a lot in learning how to trust because we had to growing up. You know, yeah. It's just, just who we were in our 20s. Um, But, yeah, I – at the Self-Publishing House, I helped bring a book to life that was groundbreaking in New Zealand called You're a Dick Mummy, and um, it was about a Olympic hopeful cyclist that had a car accident due to drink driving his kids, and um, basically this kid ended up brain damaged. It was an 11-year battle for his mother and ACC, which is like work cover here, and they're kind of still coming out of the end of that, and she wrote this book to be cathartic and to... Connect, stay connected with her husband because they were, like, getting and yeah. pulling apart. And um, she came to us to write the book. I, I chose that title and I said, you know, you want it was the first words that came out of his mouth when he came out of his coma. And the photo on the cover was of, her, of the first photo of him hooked up to all the machines. And that book ended up being getting into the hands of the um, management of ACC and they personally rung her up and apologised and said, we're so sorry for the way we've treated you and your son. We've got a copy of your book. Can we use your book as case studies for all the new case managers that come on ACC to show them what not to do? Wow. And we got nominated, both her and myself, for some awards for awesome service and publishing. I won the monthly one, then I won the annual one. And at that point I thought, man, I've got visions of me doing what I'm going to do with you and Sarah, which is, you know, mentor you guys in marketing and make sure your book's going to reach the heights that you want it to. But my bosses in New Zealand didn't want to do that. They felt it was too risky and, you know, they just wanted to stay in their bread and butter and I wanted more. Uh, One of my authors who'd done very well with a fiction series, he said I needed to come to Australia. I'm still a cigarette smoker at this time. I remember him saying it to me and my wife. I went outside, smoked a cigarette. And I'm the sort of guy, Brett, that if you cannot come up with a very logical reason why you shouldn't do something, you have to do it. Don't make excuses. Yeah. I went back in, my kids were all older now, but more self sufficient, and I said to my wife, Do you want to go? And she goes, Yeah, hell yeah. So within that between that that period and seven weeks later, I'd quit my job, sold all my stuff, I had a job in Sydney at a hybrid publisher and I'd never left New Zealand. So <laughs> arriving in Sydney and I'm driving, I had to go and go to the bank. I didn't realise that when you drive into the middle of Sydney, first off parking's like forty bucks. <laughs> you know, so it was a so what year did you arrive here? I've uh, been here nine years. 2010? Okay, so yeah, 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 yeah. So boom, working for a hybrid publisher in Sydney, and my Australian journey begun, mate. It was all wow. like young and old. <laughs> so you've now landed, you're in
0: Oz, you're in Sydney. Where were you we living in Sydney?
1: Uh, originally in Croydon. Again, mm-hmm. not knowing Sydney, probably not the best <laughs> choice. Uh, we ended up moving into Maroubra, which again was a bit of a uh, – and I worked in the city. So, yeah, you know, so a bit of a trek into the city. I didn't mind the train. It was a mm-hmm. new experience for me. Uh, I was running before I could walk, yep. and I was very driven to succeed here. Um, I was moving faster than my wife could. We had some issues. She had to move, she moved back to New Zealand because we mm-hmm. broke up. She came back and fought for me and got me back, obviously. Um, but during my time working for this publishing house, one of the one of the deals that we made for me to come over was that he was going to invest in marketing, that I could build this kind of marketing modules and mentorship up and and be able to give self-published authors that guidance. And when I got there, he never did it. And that kind of left me just banging my head against the wall. So we made a mutual decision soon after I got there. It was probably about four months into it. Um, I wanted to have a meeting with him, and he said, this isn't really working, is it? I said, no, man, not if you don't put into marketing. He's going, well, I'm not going to. So he was a really nice guy. So I'm not angry with him that he kind of didn't do it. You know, it was too nice, actually. That's probably what wasn't angry with him. Yeah. But uh, we agreed to move on, and um, I didn't want to tell my wife over the phone, so I got her to come pick me up. And I said, "Oh, you look, myself and David have decided to part ways. So I've got to find another job." And she freaked. I guess, "What are we going to do? What are we going to do?" Go. We're just we're in the country. We've just moved. Yeah, yeah it's full on. It was, and because we were, I was running fast. Every day just flew by like it was mm. ten minutes. And I actually thought I'd made the wrong decision. I thought maybe I'm publishing. I'm done. So I went and delivered pizzas for crust. Um, pizza and Bondi Beach and Clevelli for a while and, you know, really kind of simplified things. Yeah. But, it, but I missed something and um, I couldn't escape it. I missed you people, you guys that want to write stories and shit. Mm. And um, the inspiration behind everything I've done has come from the creativity of others and their desire to see their stories come to life and make an impact. So I just couldn't get out of it, put my CV back out there and a Queensland publisher picked me up. And they were keen to invest in marketing. So we packed our little Honda Civic up. and <laughs> Drove to Queensland. Drove to Queensland, bro. And sit's it's hot here. Still. I still haven't got used to it. <laughs> and I've been here for like seven, eight years now. You'd think I would have got used to it.
0: So you're with the publisher in Queensland. When when do we decide actually I'm going on my own?
1: Well, that's a very interesting. And, and I'm going to be really frank now because the, be frank you know whoever listens to this that wants to write a book, there's some things they need to know. Yeah. Um, the publishing house that I worked, first worked for, um, you know, I created the the success of that business because I knew how to treat people, mm. I knew how to serve, you know. And as an author, as a publisher, you're there to serve. You're writing a book that's to serve somebody. Mm. This book is not about you, Brett. It's about the people that you're trying to impact by. Of course. So I did very well in helping them get on the map and increase their business and their team. And what I didn't know is that they were taking the money from the authors and they were spending it on themselves. So when it came time to print, there was no money there. But I'd never managed the printing or the money because that's what they didn't want me to, Mm. not for obvious reasons now. There was a company in Queensland that was printing for where I worked and I'd go and pick up proofs and print runs and stuff and drop them off to authors. And one day I went in there and the, the boss of that company called me in and showed me a spreadsheet and said, here's your authors that have just been printed in the last few months. I want you to tell me which ones of these guys have paid their money. And I said, I'm not telling you that, mate. It's got nothing to do with me. Talk to my boss. Mm. And he goes, well, you just look and ask yourself if they have paid. And I looked and every one of them had. And he said, I just want you to know I haven't been paid for any of these. And we're talking, it was tens of thousands of dollars. So I went back to my work and I kind of said, look, they're not going to print for us anymore. And we've got to work out some sort of negotiation to pay pay the money we are. So I facilitated that meeting and made it all happen, um, but I felt very nervous and I felt things were going about to sink, and I needed to get out. So I ended up approaching that guy that owned that business. I said, just out of curiosity, if I was to um, knock on your door and say, "Hey, I want a job," what would you say? And I believe that The reason he showed me that spreadsheet was because he was trying to get me anyway. Because <laughs> he took me upstairs and goes, Well, this is your office. It was all set up computer, yeah. desk, everything was there. So <laughs> your well, name's on the door. <laughs> pretty much. And I said to him, Oh, okay. Well, you know, if that was to happen, this is what I'd want. And he went, Yep, sweet. The biggest thing was autonomy. Mm. I wanted to run the publishing department how I knew it needed to be run. I didn't care about the accounts. You know, you guys take yeah. care of that. I just wanted the authors to get what they needed. And let me choose the team. I want to have professionals in there. I don't want, a school teacher editing your book. I want a professionally trained editor. Mm -hmm. I want a proper book designer, not just a graphic designer. So he was all good with that. And I also said, once I've made you a million dollars, I want to share with the company. And yep, sweet ass. So the universe doing what it's doing. And I'm a real straight (laughs) honest guy at this point. I'd got off the alcohol. At this point? You still are.
0: Still Still am.
1: Still am. Whatever the word is. (laughs) But I'd got off the alcohol. Okay. When I moved to Queensland, I made a conscious decision to stop drinking. So full cold turkey or um, just like a couple? No, when I when I gave up, I gave up. Okay. I could sit here and have a beer with you now, yep. all good. But if you put a dozen on the table, yeah, I have one breath then I gotta go. Yeah. Because after that dozen I'll be going to give me the rest. I'm the same. Yeah. Hundred percent. Excess. Yeah. So I um, the universe doing what it did, I it was within a week and I'd had enough mm-hmm. and I just quit and I said, Look, I'm done and then I went up to that guy and I said, Oh bro, I've actually quit, so when do I start? <laughs> Next day. So I helped set up the first assisted independent publishing house in Queensland, and I did turn it into a million dollar business over a three year period. And when I wanted to make changes to what I was doing with the mentorship yep. and bringing audio books, and um, he said no. And I'm not that kind I don't of don't say uh, no to ocean. Just I don't say no to a creative. But, <laughs> exactly. You know, creative people need people room need to, to learn this shit, don't they? They do, bro. They do. <laughs> Creative people need room to breathe and fly and and the whole point of being creative is that you don't limit yourself. And his philosophy was, well, it's not broken, let's not fix it. But in my mind I'm going, if we do this though, it increases business, it increases opportunity for the authors, everybody wins. And there was a lot of authors that I was working with that felt that I needed to go out on my own and it was mid-2016 and I even had one husband of an author at a event that we put on, not hard, but he kind of gave me a shove, and I said, "What's that for?" And he goes, "Start your own business." I'm like, "Dude, you know, I don't know shit about running a business. I don't know nothing." Yeah. Um, I heard about bass, and I thought it was a fish. So you know, I don't know. Nice fish, though. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, quite tasty. Now I know it's about giving the government money. Yeah, even worse. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's
0: just like fish with a bone stuck in your throat. <laughs> that <just> sucks, bro.
1: <laughs> But yeah, I basically um, I had an author back me. I pitched a business plan to one of my um, one of my uh, regular authors, and he said it was a no brainer. And he fronted me the cash to go out on my own, and that was in late 2016. I quit that company at 2000, started 2017. Amicably, or was that ugly? I think they saw it coming yeah. because they felt, that, and I'm too straight now. I can't. Like you know, remember how I said I used to only show people? Mm. Now it's not. It's no, it's hundred percent. You get me? We don't fucking like it. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So I think they knew that there was a change happening within me, and I wasn't happy. Um. So the decision was when I told him, he goes, oh, "I kind of saw that coming," and I went, "All right, sweet." We made um a, a mutually beneficial arrangement to end it, and I moved on, and they still operate, and you know, it's all good. Excellent. But the best thing that happened for me was making that decision to back myself. And uh, ever since I've done that, it's just been amazing. an
0: amazing feeling? Though? Like I'm an entrepreneur. I've been doing this for many, many years. Yeah. And when
1: you actually pull the pin and go, no, fuck it.
0: I'm just going to do what I want to do, which what I'm good at, what I know I can smash. And if I fuck it up, it's all on me. But then I can bounce back from that. It's It's just such a oh, –
1: Oh bro, it's liberating, man. <laughs> I know. And it, oh, I'm not religious, but it's a come to Jesus moment. Oh kind Hallelujah. of. Hallelujah. You feel you feel that that, that purpose means something. Yeah. You know, everyone goes on about like cynic, Simon Cynic, what's your why? And my why has always been to help or help people express their creativity and, and do it in a way that's going to impact others. And and when I went out on my own, there were no limitations to how I was going to make that happen. Plus I didn't have to look at it like the sale. All right, so everywhere else I worked because I was working for somebody else, they were going, "Well, you got to get the sales, and we're running a business." Which mm. I accept that's true, but for me, there were a lot of authors that came to me over the last twenty odd years that just weren't ready. Mm. Their writing wasn't good enough, or they they didn't they weren't prepared to own the marketing part of it. So, the right thing for me to have done was say, "You know, how about we just slow down a bit? You know, we don't need to actually publish right now. Whereas, if you did a bit more work here, you could actually have a really good book in say six to twelve months." But my bosses wouldn't have that. But now I can. Now I can. An author will come to me and they go, show me a manuscript. And I'll say, yeah, let's just get an appraisal because I I don't think you're there yet. But I'll get you a professional opinion from one of my team who's trained in doing appraisals. And they will tell you. And sure enough, not only do they go and spend six months working on that manuscript, but then they come back. Because they appreciate that honesty, that I'm not just about making shitloads of money.
0: Transparency, honesty, all that stuff. And I found that with you guys when I first sort of come across you guys. I was in the, going down the self-publishing route and I got the appraisal done. Mm. And when it came back and Sarah, my assistant, pointed out to me, she goes, just read that one line. And it said something like, oh, this book is fit for publishing. Mm. And... I've just gone. Fuck, really? Like, because obviously you question yourself and and sort of all that sort of stuff. I've never written a book in my life. I, I failed high school. I did all that sort of fun stuff. But at the same time, when it come back and someone that is a professional tells you that, and then yet yeah, will sign you, you're going to become
1: pu- a published author. It's like fuck me.
0: Woohoo! How good's
1: that? Well, that's the content. So when we look at our creative expression, the reasons why you wanted to write that
0: book—that's
1: mm. all there in the content. There were there were things that needed to be addressed of that we have. But from a content viewpoint, did it flow? Did it make sense? Is there, an, is there an activated change that's happening by reading that book? And and without a doubt, there was. And that's what we look for with our authors is that, you know, remember it's to serve other people. Writing and publishing a book is not about you. If you want to do it for ego or status or anything like that, go to another publisher. I'm not going to do that. And I've turned down authors that have come to me with and that. that.
0: And that's what I love. I love the fact that, that you – aren't a yes man that you guys aren't, aren't a, No, but in the, in the fact that, yeah, no, if you weren't good enough, I'd say no. <laughs> and and those sort of things actually are the the making of a really good business. And you hit the nail on the head a minute ago is the fact the best way to sell is to not sell at all. Right? My whole vision and mission about everything I do is tell stories. I'm a storyteller. And whether it's podcasts, whether it's books, whether it's actually selling my businesses, yeah, I tell them a story. I never actually come in there and go, do you want to buy? Buy now, buy now, buy now, buy now. It's like, I'll tell you this story, and if you like my story,
1: then you'll want some more. And what's the end result for you by doing this? What, what do you want to see happen to those people?
0: You want to make them smile. 100%, mate. Um, As I mentioned before, it's all about kindness. It's all about making the world a better place.
1: So out of everything that I've been doing in publishing and meeting these awesome humans, mm-hmm. uh, I've learned that there's some parts of our society and our life that's fucked up Mm. and the biggest one is suicide
0: yes
1: and we've got a large portion of corporate that like the uh, dental industry there's a high suicide rate the mining industry there is obviously with the military with ptsd Mm -hmm. um the biggest concern for me is young people uh the suicide rate and the awareness of suicide i mean we, we all know it's there yes we all know it's there but it's not the awareness that needs to keep being hammered home it's a how are these solutions going to be put into place and what is it that my authors can bring to the table to help contribute to keeping people alive and finding their joy? Mm -hmm. Because I think happiness is a choice, Brett. I think you wake up every morning, you choose to be pissed off and angry, oh, I've got to go to fucking work. Or you choose up and go, oh, man, what do I have to do now? I've got to see Andy Cullen. Then I've got to put a podcast with Brett. Then I've got two mentors. I was up at four o'clock pumped going, come on, let's go. (laughs) So I get up and I I say, let's go. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to hear my ringtone, but it's Eric Thomas yelling at me saying, sleeps for the week. You know, you want to get sleep. <laughs> so I'm fired up. But I think happiness is a choice. The discovery of joy, that takes work. Yes. And there are authors that we have got. Their life mission is to help people find their joy. So what I decided to do with a collaboration of a couple of other people was put together an academy called Imagine Academy. Um, and these are authors, all published authors, with Oceanary Publishing. They can stand on stage, not motivational speak—that's been done to death—but activate and inspire, so that when people leave, they feel changed, they Story create change. Time, mate. It's a bro. Mm. So yeah, the Imagine Speaking Academy. We we went to Singapore and we we did a presentation called "People Are More Important Than Profit." Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried it here in Queensland. We went to the um, Queensland Chamber of Commerce, and they said, "Oh, Australia's not ready for this." Okay, then. Well, I'll go to Singapore, the most financially based country in the world. If I can pull it off there, then Australia is ready for it. Oh, yeah. Presented it to a whole lot of CEOs and business owners. They all got the concept. They all listened to those stories from four different people. And the next question was, how do we make this happen? How do we show this in our business? How do we create this uh, energy and atmosphere that people are more important than profit? And, well, now that's what we're implementing. But I stepped it back and I said, well, I'd love to come back over to Singapore and do that, but I think I need to focus on my own backyard because suicide is here.
0: Mm, Definitely.
1: And so we've reshaped it, relaunched it last year to be, uh, Australian, New Zealand focused. Mm -hmm. We have eight, nine after this morning with um, the addition of Andy Cullen, um, nine profound game changers who each one of them offer insight and guidance and how to create joy in your life. And, um, that's my, my driver is to minimise suicide, create creative expression for people and inspire change, just like you, bro. Tell some stories.
0: That's what it's all about. Okay, so who is the person who has the most influenced your career or you personally?
1: Just one person. One person. Oh, man. Or people. People. I would say every single author I've worked with. Because like I said to you when I was delivering pizzas in Sydney, I missed creative people. Mm-hmm. Every step that I've made in my career has been influenced by my authors. So I've learned just as much from you guys as creatives. Like I've learned something from you today. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It was happening before we did the podcast. But yeah. um, I learned something from each one of you guys to better myself um, just as much as you guys learn from us. So without a doubt, the creative community has been what has inspired and motivated me and, and been my, my clincher.
0: What's your greatest achievement in life?
1: Um, there's two. One is working with William Shatner from a career viewpoint.
0: But we didn't go there. How did that happen? Oh. Tell, me, tell
1: me the Shatner story. <laughs> it's a funny one. Um, as part of the, the, the crowdfunding um, approach that he took, I was involved in that. And they were, part of it was they sent out the ebook to everybody and I got to see the e-book before it went out and it was devastatingly awful. Um, no matter what <laughs> what platform you looked on, and it was just a mess. And this yeah. is Captain Kirk, mate. You know, I, I grew up Star Trek, Boston yep. Legal, The Guys, the Man. <laughs> you're not sending this out, and they were panicking because it was supposed to have gone out at the end of that. It was a Friday, and and Thursday in America, it was supposed to go out on Friday. And I said to them, "Well, look, you're gonna have to put it off till Monday. Leave it with me, and I will get it sorted." So, I did it myself actually because yeah. um, I know how to format ebooks correctly. So, I was watching a game of cricket, Australia versus New Zealand at yeah. home, and um, I formatted this ebook, New Zealand 1, by the way. Just thought I'd drop that in there. It's
0: always handy once off. Yeah. 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 Well, we bowl under
1: <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> <either>. Oh, dude. <laughs> We don't want to have a cricket discussion, right? Now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I reformatted. I sent it back to them, and they were like um, – I never spoke to Shatner directly. I spoke to mm-hmm. his team, and that, that's not to be, to be expected. Um, and, yeah, they got the ebook out first thing Monday morning. The whole thing kicked back into gear, and they ended up doing really well with a book called Catch Me Up. And they wrote – William Shatner wrote an endorsement for me, which was magical, um, and that would have been my best career highlight. My life highlight um, – Every day's a highlight, brother. You know, I don't have a life highlight. Every day's full of them. I think that you do, you've got to find your inspiration in every day and leave the past in the past. And it's live. a big thing, man.
0: Move yeah. forward to, all the time. <laughs> Tomorrow
1: never comes. Today's today. Yes, they happened. Actually, I, I will just drop this in there. This is when I learned this kind of lesson on how important every day matters. Mm. I'm driving to work um, to this independent publishing house before I started my own place. And I always tell authors, live every day. You know, don't don't fuck around and don't live someone else's life. Live yours and live it properly. And I don't think I was doing it. This is before I started my business member. Mm. I'm driving four-lane traffic. It's four o'clock in the morning, so there's next to no one on the roads. I'm in the third lane to the medium barrier, right? I'm in a small little Toyota Corolla. Guy comes out of the, um, onto the motorway, doesn't see me. B-lines at speed straight at me. I see him. I swerve. I got the four, I didn't see if there was anybody in the fourth lane. Yeah. I swerved. I just managed to miss the medium barrier. A bit of language came out of me. Of course. But I, I just absolutely realised that was the moment at 110K that it would have been the end of me. And that was 2016. wasn't too long before I started my are. business. So for sure, man, I think that my life highlights have been every single day that I'm doing something awesome. That's
0: amazing. Okay, always finish this with some quick-fire questions. Oh, shit.
1: Favourite food? Uh, Macaroni cheese. Really? Yeah, bro. Favourite song? Imagine John Lennon. Favourite place in the world? Taranaki. Taranaki Hardcore New Zealand. What's next for Ocean? Keep doing what I'm doing. I've got an opportunity in Canada to expand the company over there. Obviously, make New Zealand um, happen as well and to help more people express creativity and save lives through Imagine Academy.
0: Mate, well, I love your work. I love the fact that I've been able to get a lot out of you that you didn't think was going <laughs> to come out. And I love the fact, mate, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Brent. Cheers, buddy. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJMacker and look out for more Meteorite podcasts.